Welcome to that super fan talk podcast only on the Infinite Potato Alliance. Hey everybody and welcome to a new episode of that super fan talk podcast. My name is Sean Ray and I'm all alone right now. I'm all alone because I'm here to introduce this week's episode. You've heard us talk in the past about backdoor pilots. We did an entire episode about them. A couple of months ago. That's where a TV show will use an episode of their series to introduce new characters that may or may not eventually get their own spinoff series. Well, this week, we have a bit of a backdoor pilot for our podcast. Scott Madison is the former host of The Prime Direction, and he's one of the co-hosts on this show. He's launching a new podcast here on the Infinite Potato Alliance. The premise of the show is that Scott's going to pick up DVDs from his local dollar store and watch them. Then he's going to discuss those movies with a panel of guests and decide whether he would recommend the film to you or not. And what you get is a a show that's going to discuss a lot of films that you may never have heard of and based off his his review, you can decide if you want to seek that movie out or not. The name of the podcast is... I'll watch that for a dollar. Rick and I guessed it on the very first episode, and I'm going to release it to you right here on this episode of the podcast. Be on the lookout on the website at infinitepotato.com so that when the actual proper launch of the podcast comes along, you'll know about it. So let's go ahead and get started. Computer. Access the file for I'll Watch That for a Dollar, pilot episode. Accessing file for I'll Watch That for a Dollar, episode 1, hosted by Scott Matson. Move that file into the Super Fan Talk Podcast catalog. Cross-referencing with that Super Fan Talk Podcast. Relocating file. Open theme song file location. Theme music accessed. Run program. Favorite radio program? Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Hold on to your butt. And here we go. From the historic Infinite Potato Studios, this is That Super Fan Talk Podcast. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Hasta la vista, baby. Join us as we dive deep into all fandoms and genres of cinema and television. I like those odds. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. No gatekeeping. No toxic fandom. And monkeys might fly out of my butt. Now, only inches away from a tall glass of Diet Mountain Dew. Just give me something without any sugar in it, okay? Here is your host, Sean Ray. It's Sean. Shawnee, if you're feeling a little loose. Never the Sean dog, because that's just lame, and I've never been one to chase balls. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. All right, it was a miracle. Can we go now? Keep the change, you filthy animal. Well, here it is, folks. Uh, This is the pilot episode. I guess you could say unofficial pilot episode. Um, the, the, The test flight episode of... A new podcast here on the Infinite Potato Alliance. 
um, working title for this show is going to be I'd Watch That for a Dollar. Why do we call it that? Because I watched this for a dollar. Every film that we discuss on this podcast is going to be a movie that I found at the local dollar store, either on DVD or Blu-ray, and I bought it just for you. Because you don't need to watch all this stuff. I'll watch it for you. And then I can let you know whether or not you should be happy that you missed it. Um, I think that's going to be made pretty clear uh, based on the people that I have with me on this show tonight. But we'll see how it goes. We'll, 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 we'll get there. We'll start with introductions before we uh, introduce the movie. I'm going to bring in two of my uh, longstanding compatriots here on the Infinite Potato Alliance. Uh, we have uh, the big kahuna, the top dog. The man in charge, the boss, and he is very glad that he is not the boss on this particular discussion. <laughs> we have the head of the Infinite Potato Alliance, Sean Ray. How's it going, buddy? Doing great. Uh, when you introduce the show, you have to say it like, I'd watch that for a dollar. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> I thought about it, but then I figured it would be easier to just find a sound clip from RoboCop yeah. and drop that in instead. <laughs> And <laughs> I, I thought there was going to be more to his uh, more to his hello than that. Okay. I was about to make a snarky comment, but I've de- decided not to. No way! Get out! <laughs> a snarky cop from <laughs> and sitting in in the other chair, folks. We have the guy who you might think that he just can't find a way to enjoy bad movies for their badness. And he just doesn't like them. But here's the thing. I think he's mad at them. He's mad at the bad movies. <laughs> he disapproves of them and the way that they have lived their life. And he thinks that they need to straighten up their act and get it together. These bad movies need to grow up and be good movies. <laughs> he's a an easygoing guy. Everyone, welcome in the in, in the in the second chair. Uh, Admiral Mary is himself. Rick, how are you? I want your dollar back. <laughs> Do you think anybody's ever returned anything to the dollar store? <laughs> this is a portion that I might cut from the final episode. I don't know, but probably not. Full disclosure, I didn't actually get this movie at the dollar store. Oh. <laughs> because... There will come a time when I run out of movies from the dollar store. And already my local dollar store doesn't have any movies left. So hopefully they'll get more eventually in the future. But right now, they don't have them. Uh, But there are plenty of movies out there that exist in the wide world of the internet. uh, Gettable through various means that we will not discuss on this podcast. uh, That should go in the dollar store that could show up in a dollar store but I didn't happen to find them in the dollar store but I may as well have so I've begun collecting some of those I have a few dozen as backup this is one of them because it was easier to allow you guys to watch this one than to try to mail you copies of a physical disc when you say dollar store do you mean like dollar tree like a like a a store where everything is one dollar or do I you mean just exactly, mean like a disc? Okay. I mean exactly Dollar Tree. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> we, we, all, we have Dollar Tree, we also have Dollar General, and we have thrift stores and stuff. I didn't know if you were expanding out to just all discount stores where you find 
Because I know no, when Blockbuster went out yet. of when Blockbuster went out of business, our Dollar General got loaded with movies. <laughs> Just tons and tons of DVDs. I can imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, there's a couple Dollar Generals uh, nearby, but I don't go there. Although the Dollar Tree, I love. Yeah. <laughs> and at present, I don't see any. Um, well, I've seen a few DVDs available at my local Five Below, but uh, I think if we're if I'm going to upgrade from dollar movies to five dollar movies at Five Below, that's going to have to be an extra Patreon tier. <laughs> That'll be an, an unlockable perk on Patreon is people can get five dollar movie reviews instead of one dollar movie reviews. So I think it's time to get to it, people. We're going to make. The big reveal. What did we watch to discuss here on this uh, unofficial first episode of I'd Watch That for a Dollar? We have uh, we have a hot little piece of cinema coming out of the United Kingdom, produced in 2018, filmed in 2013, directed by Cecily Fay, written by Cecily Fay, produced by Cecily Fay, music by Cecily Fay, edited by Cecily Fay, production design by Cecily Fay, costume design by Cecily Fay, fight choreography and stunt choreography and coordination by Cecily Fay, and starring Cecily Fay. I'm going to argue. When, I will argue about the music part, but we'll get we'll get to that. <laughs> usually when one person has done that much on a movie, it is really a sign of quality. Let me just say. <laughs> it's some uh, some teenager that made something on their on their Mac. <laughs> At one point, I was thinking while I was watching it that uh, uh, some some high school film project escaped captivity or something. I am never getting Cecily Faye on this podcast. I'd say that's not a bad thing. <laughs> is and is, He's he's so mad at it. Do you hear it, listeners? Okay. He's mad you know at what? the movie. You know what? You're not wrong. This movie pissed me off, and I was still angry when I woke up this morning. <laughs> it only and pissed you off because things, you had to watch it. <laughs> that's one of the things that I'm not sure that I understand, and and uh, it, it also should be mentioned that uh, we still haven't even gotten the title of the movie out of our mouths yet. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> because I got through the credits of one person who. And Rick, Rick will say that one person wearing that many hats in the production of one film is a is a sign of poor quality. Whereas another person might say that that many people wearing that that many hats on one person on one film is a sign that they had a lot of passion and drive to get this thing made. And that's how hard they worked in order to get a film completed. Now, is it a great film? No. Is it going to win awards? No. Is it super high quality and very compelling? I would say no. But <laughs> is it more movie than I have ever made in my life? Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. You remember a guy by the name of Maplethorpe? <laughs> Completely impenetrable. I made a good argument in favor of someone. I made a good argument in favor of them making the effort. Yep, you're right. Deaf ears. Deaf ears. No, I just said that effort does not necessarily equal something I want to look at because Robert Mablethorpe has done lots of really, really 
offensive, disgusting, but very well thought out and very elaborately executed performance art. I'm not saying that this movie is worse than him laying underneath a plexiglass bridge while people walked over and he masturbated underneath. Um, I'm not going to say it's that bad, but I'm going to say it's a lot less focused. (laughs) Well, if you had any chance of getting Cecily Faye on the podcast before, (laughs) as soon as the word masturbation came up... (laughs) You might want to say the title. I'm sorry, Probably didn't help all that much. This this film, which I would probably still choose to watch this film before I watch another film by Lars von Trier. Would that be The Room? No, no. The Room is Tommy Wiseau, and and yikes. All right, let me let me let me let me explain one little thing about my relationship in bad with bad movies. If like what we did with Ed Wood for the Patreon where a bunch of us are watching the movie and just riffing on it like crazy, that's Mm -hmm. a blast. Or if it's something like Manos, The Hands of Fate, or, you know, Ice Pirates, or something (laughs) where it's at least so bad, but it's bad in a funny way. I can get in, I can, I can get down with that. This movie is just bad and not bad entertaining, not bad. Oh my god, I can't believe they they think what they're, they you know, they thought that was a good thing. Not even, oh my god, they're eating him. And they're going to eat me bad. No, this was just somebody should have every 20 minutes during filming going, you need to not do this. You don't know what you're doing. This is a bad idea. He's so mad. <laughs> you, you, I, don't, here, here. I don't know. I we're, we're we're going to discover throughout the course of this podcast that that my opinion of the film is different than I would assume both of you guys. <laughs> now, this doesn't mean that I love the movie. This doesn't mean that it was great. It's not going on my on my top ten list at all. But I get the feeling that I saw more potential, good intention, if not good execution in this film than I think either you guys did. But to answer your question, Rick, Lars von Trier was uh, the the writer of uh, 2000's Dancer in the Dark, which I believe, uh, yeah, starring Bjork. Um, he was the writer of The House That Jack Built, uh, starring Matt Dillon, Melancholia, if people remember that, from 2011 with Kirsten Dunst, uh, 2009's Antichrist with Willem Dafoe, uh, and also uh, the writer of the 2013 duology Nymphomaniac and Nymphomaniac Volume 2. Lars von Trier is a disturbed he is a disturbed writer. You you don't want to watch the stuff that he writes. You don't want to you don't want to watch his movies. Okay. They're they're, they're 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 icky. And not just because you see Willem Dafoe's penis in Antichrist. Not just because you see Willem Dafoe's penis penetrating his co-star in Antichrist. No, not just because of that, but because of other things as well. You don't see that sort of thing in this movie that we're discussing today, which is 2018's Babes with Blades, The Flower of Sarnia. That's the name of the movie! I'd watch that for a dollar, and I did, so you guys don't have to. Folks, this movie is a little bit bonkers. It's a little bit razzmatazz because they're trying to tell 
what is described, I think, in one of the IMDb reviews, it's described as steampunk, but I don't, I don't agree. No. I would not describe this as a steampunk film, uh, but it is an attempt at telling a, a neo-futuristic fantasy story, in a sense, like a sci-fi fantasy tale. Um, obviously uh, very much inspired by the story of Spartacus in, in parts um, with some touches of other uh, uh, common sci-fi fantasy tropes thrown in um, and a lot of overly theatrical uh, I will say this I'll say I have seen worse movies than this um, I look at that Someone said something nice about yeah, the movie. I, I, I'm gonna. So I was thinking about this when I was watching it. Um, this reminds me a lot of movies that are done by people that you see at conventions, like pushing their movies. Um, mm-hmm. So when I first got into podcasting, there was this company that started sending me emails. Uh, telling me, hey, you can um, you can interview this person from this movie. Here's a copy of the movie. Watch the movie, and you can interview them. I was like, cool. You know, I this is like a real movie, and this has you know real filmmakers and stuff. So I watched a couple of them, and they're like this. They're like this. Uh, um, um, what's the name of that company that does all the mockbusters? Oh, Asylum. Yeah, they're like Asylum film type things, you know. And there was one that, if you go back and look and listen and go back to like the early days of the podcast, it's all still available. There's an episode. It's like episode four or five where I interview a couple of filmmakers, and one of the movies was called um, like New Moon or something Moon. It was about it was a werewolf movie. And the movie was like the movie was not good. I mean, I know the guy that the guy that made the movie. He's not listening. So <laughs> I can say the movie was not good. And it, but it had Eric Roberts in it, and Eric Roberts is a fantastic actor. But I don't know why he was in this movie. But he uh, he had like a, and it wasn't a small part, but he had a weird little performance in this nothing movie that you can only find in the red box or something like that, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but it had these, uh, special effects that are sci-fi channel level, maybe not quite that good. Uh, and, and, and stuff like this, like this movie, what struck me was, uh, the fight choreography was good because she's a, she's, I mean, that's what she does. She's a choreographer and she's a stunt performer and things like that. But right. I noticed that they would pull back. Like when they would do the kill shots and stuff, you wouldn't see it happen. It's like you would see it from, like, like they would show her back while she's stabbing somebody or something mm-hmm. like that. You would not see the actual thing happen because obviously they didn't have the money to um, to show it. There was one shot towards the end of the movie where uh, one of the characters is going through a room and you see her in silhouette killing a bunch of people one after the other as they're attacking her one at a time, you know, and you see some blood splurred out on the wall and stuff. That shot was actually pretty cool. I thought that that was... Yeah. Uh, that was 
that was po- possibly my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. That was the part that I was hoping that I could hold up that scene uh, and and refer to that scene to Rick to at least convince him to admit that the movie had some redeeming qualities because that particular fight sequence in front of the red light-up wall and you just see all the fighting in silhouette as she moves through a, a number of opponents was at least a creatively framed shot. It was. And the fight choreography, as you said, was really good. I was impressed with it. It's a shame that the camera work wasted a lot of it. <laughs> and that's true. There's there's no arguing that point. Um, I, they, were, they were well choreographed. There were two things that detracted from the fight scenes. One was, like you say, the camera work. The cinematography was, uh, was lackluster. Part of it was uh, clearly because of the equipment that they were using. And part of it was... I assume just the, uh, you know, the, the the crew, the camera people that they had, they just, the people in charge of calling the shots, the cinematographer and the camera people uh, didn't really know how to get the best angle, the best image possible uh, in what, with what they were doing. Like, for example, it's, it's clear that a lot of the stuff that they were filming was done at night outside. And that does not give you a whole lot of good light. You, you want a studio with actual lighting to make it appear like it's nighttime without it actually being nighttime. Mm. When you're actually filming at night, you can't hardly see nothing. So yeah. that took away from it. The other thing that caused a problem with the fight scenes is the fact that they clearly could not afford uh, proper uh, uh, protective gear and padding. So all the fights that were happening, all the imp- it was very low impact. And all the landings were very soft, and all the contacts were very uh, were, were very easy, because they couldn't actually haul off and hit each other like you can on a bigger budget film, with a whole lot of protective gear to make sure people don't get hurt during stunts. So the fights looked like people being overly careful, because if they're not, they're going to get hurt because they don't have what it takes to to keep them safe during the fights. But what they were trying to pull off, as far as the fight choreography that she put together. It was they were well designed fights, and the people who were who were performing obviously knew what they were doing when it came to the fight choreography for the most part and they highlight that in the trailer, which is why I was thinking this might be a, a surprise nice movie, but everything in between the fights really detracted from it because they they didn't have the proper sound equipment, which means virtually all the audio in this movie is done in post, mm-hmm. and they had to terribly eighty yard. They, they had to loop all the dialogue because their onset mics were horrible. And the few times where they used an onset microphone, it sounds awful because you get nothing but huge echoes because it's not in a space that's designed to be uh, live mic like that. Uh, but that scene that Sean was talking about in front of that wall. I thought very well put together. They they had nice uh, sparse use of digital effects to get uh, blood on the floor and blood on the wall as she's moving through all the all those bad guys, and that showed me that they they had an image in their head of what they wanted this film to look like, and regardless of the fact that there's a pretty big gulf between what they wanted to make and what they managed to make. They still tried to make what they saw in their minds, and I think even that is is worthy of some praise. 
it, it also seemed kind of like um, this lady, Cecily Faye, when she wrote it, it's like she had a big book of tropes. <laughs> She's like, I'm gonna take that one and that. Yeah, one let me pull one. from this and let me take from that. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a little gladiator in here. Here's a little bit of Chronicles of Riddick. You know, Princess here's some, there's some Mad Max a little on the side. You know, uh, for sure, for sure, for sure. And just kind of stitch together a plot, which, like, like you say, the plot is just what's in between the fight scenes. Uh, so right, can I tell you? Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Yes, Rick, go ahead, please. Where this movie lost me was in the very first opening minutes because, um, first of all, I was prepared for schlock. I, I, didn't, I didn't look this up before I watched it, so I was expecting this to be, you know, classic, you know, 13-year-old male boobs and swords fest. You were surprised that there were no naked boobs in this movie, weren't you? I was stunned, to be quite honest. I didn't Mm. realize that, you know, if this could have, if this had been what they wanted it to be, if there had been just a little more effort in the script, and it could have been great. But I'll tell you when it lost me. Uh, I used to, as as a kid and young adult, I read a lot of fantasy. You know, it was always science fiction, but I also enjoyed fantasy, too. But after a while, I got so sick of the, you know, young child watches her village be murdered in front of her and her parents raped to death and and is taken away and later finds out she's a princess and comes back for her revenge. And that's right where this goddamn movie starts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you and look at the poster... I was so sick of that. I was sick of that 30 years ago. If you look at the poster, I mean... You, that's what it looks like it is. It looks like, I mean, she's showing more boobs on the poster than she does in the in the entire movie. Well, hold, hold on a second. Which 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 poster are you looking at, Sean? The one that's on IMDb. Where the she's one that sta- she's in an outfit she never wears in the movie. Yeah, she's got she's got cleavage and she's holding a sword in front of her between okay, her legs. It's black leather, yeah. yeah. Does does anyone, uh, has anyone cottoned to the fact that that's not her on the poster? Is that not her? No. I didn't look at it that closely. <laughs> no, that's a completely different person. Whoever that, that is better. on that poster is not in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, speaking of IMDb, 2.2. Yeah, 2.2. I'm not the only yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's almost and, like, this This almost seems like it's a sizzle reel for her, uh, her abilities as a stunt performer to to show um, to people to get other jobs as a stunt performer. Mm-hmm. And, and to a degree, I, I can see that. Though at the same time, <clears throat> you can put together a sizzle reel using uh, footage from other better movies that you have participated in and that you have performed mm-hmm. in. Just stitch those together and there's your highlight reel. But to go to this much trouble to write and design and costume and choreograph and film and direct an entire movie, which then takes five years of post-production before you can actually get it released in any way. That seems like way too much trouble to go through just to get a sizzle reel. This seems when, like the like the norm for something. Like, like like I said, this reminds me of movies that I've seen people at cons pushing. We had, There was a panel at a con that I went to a couple of years ago 
where they showed scenes from this movie that they were making, and it was along the same lines. It was a lot of people that weren't actors getting together and making a movie. You know, it's just a little bit better than a fan production. But um, listening to their story and to some of the other stories, there was a zombie movie that was pushed at Magic City Con a few years ago. They go in the and they make the movie. And then they take a long time in post-production because they run out of money usually shooting. And then they have to get more money so that they can finish doing the editing. And then Mm -hmm. they have to find somebody to actually put the movie out, you know. So that's usually what they're at cons trying trying to find somebody to, you know, show their movie. And then they wind up showing it. That is not an excuse to put out a crappy movie. Uh, (laughs) Clerks. And Evil Dead, two examples of exactly what you're talking about, that launched the careers of the people that made them. And if you watch Evil Dead, the original first one, it's terrible from a production standpoint, especially when you get to the Play-Doh effects at the end, but it's still an awesome film. And Clerks, for all of its flaws I you know I compared clerks the first time I saw it to like a broken pearl necklace yeah <laughs> don't titter settle down beva uh, it's just you know <laughs> there are huge gaps in the in in the quality but when it's good it's great and there is nothing other than the occasional fight sequence in this movie that even reaches good where was this this warehouse that they seem like that's the only location that they had to shoot I don't know, but it was about 30 degrees in there, and I really felt sorry for all of the people working, because they're all wearing skimpy little outfits, and and it's freezing in there. And then you got the guy who thinks he's either Richard O'Brien or the dude that played the um, played Mary Poppins in the in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Oh, okay. Oh, the, the guy who thinks he's Michael Rooker? John Robb as Seth, who... Yeah. Uh, I he was definitely uh, hamming it up in front of the camera, but his whoo, his line deliveries in the the ADR was mm-hmm. wow. Uh, is and, it yeah. the, is the guy with the real deep gravelly voice? Yeah, the the one with the with the control device on his on his wrist that he would use to control the 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 pain giving uh, control necklaces yeah. that everyone wore, which is a totally unique. Uh, he wasn't reminded before <laughs> seeing sci-fi uh, effect. Brain and brain. What is brain? Yeah, he wasn't reminding me of uh, uh, Michael Rooker. He was reminding me of Clancy Brown from the first Highlander movie. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, yes, a little bit of Kurgan. A little bit of Michael Rooker, yes. He was definitely overplaying it. It was very clear to me that these were primarily, these, these were stunt performers first, actors second. Mm-hmm. For all the people in the lead roles, some more than others. Because some of these line, <clears throat> excuse me, some of these line readings, especially from, from those who were uh, clearly not uh, British in origin, wow. Yes, it does make you wonder, how does a filmmaker allow line readings that are this off the mark to make it to the final film? Well, it's because it's a film being made by people who are not experienced or skilled at making quality films. They're trying their best outside of their comfort zone. When their comfort zone is fighting on camera, and they're trying to make an entire movie on camera... They're not going to be as good at the latter as they are with the former. But this is a movie, 
And this is not going to be the case for this entire podcast series. There are going to be movies that are discussed on this show that are just going to be big piles of poop. And we're going to say so. We're going to say so very clearly. But this one, this film... What's up, baby? It's not good. But they tried. And that's what I like best about it. Second to that scene in front of the, the red LED wall. I did like that. So... Second to that scene, I like the fact that they tried really hard with this film, even though they missed the mark, even though they didn't do a great job. They wanted to do their best. And sure, the cameras that they used and the lighting that they used definitely made this look like a porn. <laughs> yeah. It absolutely looked like a porn movie. Can I read you something from my notes? <clears throat> uh, is it porn? All the production value and acting prowess of a 70s porn film without anything else interesting. It's <laughs> a little better than a 70s porn. I call it a 90s yeah, porn. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> just going to say, I don't know about 70s. <laughs> Maybe ni- 90s to 2000s porn. I mean, <laughs> it's clear that the, the cameras they're using are more HD than the, what they had in the 70s. But it does look a little bit like some of the modern-day porn parodies you see, like um, uh, Star Trek, the... Um, I think I think they called it Star Trek: The New Generation, Triple X porn parody. I I wouldn't know. That they did they did a recreation of the of the bridge of the Enterprise D. They did a recreation of the captain's ready room. They actually and, put out a copy. I heard about that a while back. They put a copy of that out. That they took all the sex scenes out and just put out all the acting. And because it's actually you put up, you, you put up air quotes on that, right? Yeah, yeah. Acting? Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually a decent Star Trek story. <laughs> it's just got it's just got, you know, triple X sex scenes in, in between all the acting scenes. <laughs> and because you never realize that that uh Ro Laren and Worf were that close. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's an actual scene from, from the thing. How do I know? Don't ask questions. This is my show, not yours. <laughs> Back to Bays with Blades, the flower of Sarnia. It, like I say, they tried. I wanted it's to mention great, the, it's not great, but they did their best. I wanted to mention. I mentioned earlier the music. So you said that she did the music. I argue that she found some open source music, or some you know free music archive music. And just put it in this movie, <laughs> and and that's probably what happened. I wouldn't yeah. think that she that she wrote the music or composed the music. Luckily, it doesn't say music composed by Cecily Fay. Yeah, it just says music by Cecily Fay. Yeah, she just she she found some music that's free to use as long as you you know give credits or something like where I found the the theme music that I use for most of my podcasts. You know, yeah, uh, but. Uh, I mean, and the, the the music was. I mean, at least she picked music that matched what was going on in the movie because it, I mm-hmm. mean, it could very easily have been. And the music wasn't distracting. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it didn't seem wildly out of place. They weren't trying to play a polka during the yeah dur- during the arena scenes. Yeah, it was interesting that the same like eight people were at every fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they they really enjoyed it. That those arena fights kept him coming back for more every time. In in moving on to some of the some of the content of the movie, there are definitely some some story elements that did not make a whole lot of sense. Like for example, 
how are we supposed to get behind the idea of, of, of supporting our heroes as heroes when they are in the arena and uh, Azura is fighting with uh, Dahlia. They get to the end of the fight. One of them is supposed to die. They fake killing each other. And when the guards come out, they turn on the guards and they bust their way out of the arena. And as their means of escape, they straight up begin slaughtering the audience. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a weird turn. <laughs> Which, I mean, the audience, it can be argued that they were uh, they were a bunch of bloodlusts, that they were all screaming for somebody's death the entire time anyway. So <laughs> maybe they had True. it coming, but... <laughs> And and I would buy that if they had done anything, yeah. literally anything, to indicate that the audience was filled with bad people yeah. or evil people. But that's not what they did. I mean, considering the speeches that Seth was giving to the audience, it sounded like, hey, we know that all of you people are downtrodden and our uh, oppressive militaristic regime is keeping you down, but keep on working hard to keep us in power and we will entertain you with violence. Here, have some violence to entertain you to, to help mollify you so you'll continue to support our regime. That paints them to me as you know, unfortunate folks who just need some entertainment because their lives are being ruined by the by the bad guys and then our heroes come out and just start cutting them down yeah (laughs) which is unexpected you don't really think that's that's the way things are going to go um i actually kind of enjoyed that part (laughs) what a surprise (laughs) you know i just had an epiphany uh after we helped my daughter find her nightlight um which by the way i found this they, they did a, a, I don't remember what they're called, but this is for parents out there. If you can ever find these things. They're stuffed animals, and they have a little LED light in their tummy. And I got it for Sharon when she was, like, one and a half at like in, like, the clearance bin at a Kmart. Um, and it has been the greatest buy I've ever... She, has, she won't sleep without it. And, you know, that was eight and a half years ago. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I just had an epiphany coming back from helping her find that thing. Um, I think the reason why you and I are so different in our views of this movie is because you're an actor and a storyteller. You have tons of stories going through your head all the time. Mm-hmm. And so you see this as that could be me doing something like that. I wouldn't do it that badly, but I could do that. And so I can appreciate this. I'm the one who takes scripts and turns them into physical reality. And every aspect of that part of this film is total garbage done by people who should have known better because what's her name? Something Faye or Faye something. Cecily Faye. Cecily Faye. She has been in some serious movies. The, she's been in Star Wars films as a as a uh, as a stunt person, so she has no excuse of, you know, if this was somebody who had never been on a movie set and they made it, I might have looked at it with a little more generosity. Um, but like after I watched the movie and you know, and I was I was griping at you, 
and you said, well, the, uh, the whole point of this is to be positive about it, which you should have told me before I read it, before I watched it. <laughs> well, hey, at least I told you before we started the show. <laughs> yeah, and you see how, how well that's working. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I looked her up to find out, you know, what's her deal? Because, you know, like you said, I, I didn't realize until I saw in the credits that, you know, the only time I ever saw written, directed, produced, starring, etc., really work was Bambi versus Godzilla. Um, look it up, folks. It's great. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, she is... It, it, on the one hand, I really appreciate the fact that Babes with Blades is the name of her uh, stage combat school. And it's all women. And, you know, the, it's, it's all uh, teaching women how to do stage combat and stunts and stuff, which is great. Mm-hmm. I'm totally behind that. I love that. And it, it also explained to me why this this did not end up being the softcore porn thing that I was expecting it to be, which, again, I was, I was kind of glad of, although it would have made the movie a whole lot more interesting. I'd have felt guilty about it afterwards, but it would have been more interesting. Um, but she's been in a lot of movies, and not just, you know, John Carpenter movies. She's been in serious films, so she should have a better idea of what a good movie looks like than what was made. If this was something that she only trotted out at like Halloween parties and hey look at this look at this movie I made and if it was like an hour long or 90 you know it's it's not 90 minutes long which is one of its strong points. Um you know th- that would be fine but this was not worth or worthy of a major release and that may be why it sat on a shelf for for 8 years because no studio would touch it. Well I don't know. I, I, I see. I see what you're saying. I, I can see where you're coming from. Someone who has been in the industry for a minute should have a better idea of how these things are supposed to look when they when they come out the other end as a, as a finished product. Mm-hmm. Yet my counter to that would be that speaking as a, as a theater person to another theater person, <clears throat> I did. I, I I have participated in. Dozens of theatrical productions. I have, I have played many roles. I have sung many songs. I have moved many pieces of scenery. So I have been involved in, in many theatrical productions over a course of many years. So I should be just fine to sit in the stage manager's chair and run the show, right? No. But I'll bet you could do a whole lot better of a job stage managing than someone who is, Hey, you, come over here. You ever done this sh- seen a play well i watched a movie once get in here and stage manage that's what this movie looked like and that comes down to with, with what you said right there i think that just comes down to a simple difference in opinion of what this final product was because i think you and i both agree that it does not look like a quality cinematic release however the level of badness I think is where you and I disagree. Yeah. Because I think it, I, I, it shows some promise. It shows some rudimentary skill in filmmaking, but little to no polish because that's not where the, the skill sets of these particular filmmakers lie. Whereas yeah. with you, there's virtually no quality and no redeeming factors to be found at all. Whereas I think there's plenty of them to be found. They're just hidden underneath the, the, the shortcomings that they were working to overcome. All right. Let me, let me ask you a question. 
And just a just a simple yes or no. Did this movie entertain you? Yes. Okay. For me, it's a no. I, at at thirty eight minutes, I wrote, I can't believe it hasn't been an hour. <laughs> I I will agree that I thought it was moving faster than it was, and I probably. If I had watched this movie before I assigned it to the both of you, then I probably would have suggested if you have a way of increasing your playback speed, watch this film at 1.15. Watch the film at 115% of its speed. It's easier to it's easier to take that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this, okay, so I I did not I didn't think this was a good movie. But like I said before, I've seen I've seen worse movies. I think that where Cecily, what was her last name? Cecily Ray. I think that where Faye, she, which she has basically the same last name as me. I don't know why I can't remember that. But um, where she failed is that she should have. Oh, it's Cecily Faye, not Cecily Ray. Excuse me. I said Faye. You get. I, yeah, how many yeah. times did I say the girl's name when I was reading the credits at the top of this episode? I can't believe you guys forgot. Yeah, <laughs> edit all that. Let me. <laughs> I think no, that, that where... all stays in. You guys can live with your shame of forgetting her name. It stays. I think that where she failed is that. So she wrote the movie. She did all the choreography. She starred in the movie. She should have hired somebody else to direct the movie. And I know that there was probably money issues. She didn't want the budget to go that high. I don't know if this was like a Kickstarter thing or something like that. But Not in 2013. If she had hired someone else, maybe someone that had directed something before, even if it was like a music video or something, to come in and direct her so that she's not doing the choreography, trying to do fight scenes, and watching the playback and trying to direct it all at the same time, I think that's. I think she was doing. She was wearing too many hats on this movie. It might have been better if she had, uh, you know, kind of given some of those jobs to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I would agree with that. I would say that the, the 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 overall quality of of the piece would have gone up with each individual hat that was uh, assigned to someone else. Uh, or at the very least, assigned to someone with more uh, s- particular skill in that area. Mm-hmm. Like if if someone if if a professional writer had written the script rather than her writing the script, the overall quality would have been higher. If a professional director had had directed this film instead of her, would have been higher. Production design, costuming. If a professional costumer instead of a stunt person was in charge of the costuming, the quality on the film would have gone up. Every task that she undertook probably would have been improved if a if a professional person trained in that field had done it instead of a stunt person doing all that stuff. However, since they couldn't afford drop mats during the fight scenes, so people had to gently lay themselves down onto concrete instead of falling onto a pad <laughs> off screen. Yeah. If they can't afford that, then they probably can't afford to hire people to do all those other things. So, right. again, do, they're doing the best they could. And I'm trying to judge the film on, on, its, on its potential and its intention rather than, rather than what we got. And it's hard. I definitely know it's hard. Rick, I don't want you to think that I don't get why you don't like the film. Because I totally do. 
I just was able, and I'm sure that there are going to be other movies that many people will see potential in that I will not. But this one, the roles are reversed. I must have just been in a good mood when I watched it because I was able to say, you know what? That was not a good scene. But I like what they were trying for. I don't I know how I was able to do that this time, but I was. The budget was $250,000. Yeah, a quarter million, that's, yeah. That's, way, that's below low budget. That's, that's <coughs> minuscule. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the catering for a big movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the catering for this movie was Jack in the Box. <laughs> um, I want to talk. They, like I said, do, I, do I they have appreciate... Jack in the Box in the UK? Oh, nah, I have no idea. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I can appreciate the potential. I can appreciate the the you know. I'm sure that Ms. Faye had to move heaven and earth to get this film made. I just don't think I should have had to watch it. <laughs> I've got questions about the title because the title. What okay. What did you think? Well, Scott, you you picked up the movie, so you saw you saw the cover and everything. Rick, what did you think this movie was going to be about when you heard the title, "Babes with Blades"? Like I said, I didn't think the plot was going to matter because I was ex- expecting a lot of nipples in this. <laughs> I thought. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind: this is going to be like a roller derby movie. This is going to be one of those roller girl movies, like Blades. I was thinking it was, you know. Rollerblades. Rollerblades. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh no, I was expecting swords. I, I, I had no doubt. I, I didn't expect it to be a you know, Riddick meets Dune meets. But whatever. But the um, movie. When no. you watch the movie, the movie is trying to take itself seriously, but the title makes you think that it's tongue in cheek. Babes with blades. That doesn't sound like a movie mm-hmm. that's taking itself seriously. And then they add, the, and then they added on this flower of Sarnia to it. Um, I don't. It, it almost makes me think that Flower of Sarnia was supposed to be the name of the movie, and then they added the babes with blades because they couldn't get anybody to carry it without that. Well, the thing is, her 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 theater company is Babes with Blades. I'm looking at the at the website for it now. Well, I'm I'm doing some some look up on that myself. Um, I believe that the Babes with Blades Theater Company is not at all connected with this film. Babes with Blades Theater Company, copyright 1997. Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I making an incorrect connection? Yeah, I do not. I do not think she is involved with with the theater company. I think that the oh. name of the film, Babes with Blades, just happens to be the same name as this uh, Chicago-based theater company that was started in 1997 because Cecily Faye. And the entire production staff of the movie—that's all UK based. This entire the, the movie was made in the UK, and everyone involved hmm. in making it are are from the UK. This, this is a, a British production. Okay, well then, never mind. All of what I said earlier <laughs> is wrong. I I thought for a second there. I thought you know what? Maybe Rick uh, uh, looked up uh, that theater company and found a connection that I did not know was there. Because I had seen the name of the theater company, um, I assumed that it's there was what comes no up on the. It's it's the first thing that comes up when you do a Google, a Google search. Yeah, yeah. When, so you, when just, you search I this, just when assumed you, right when you search this title, the movie is your second Google result, not your first. And after taking a quick look at the site for the theater company, I assumed that 
okay, it's a it's not connected. It's a different theater company. We'll move out of the to the film. And when you brought it up, I figured, oh, I guess I missed a connection because you know Rick probably looked it up and saw that there was a connection. But if you just made the assumption based on the names, that makes sense. But no, it's not them. Um, well, I, I okay, I, and I I can explain it because of this other thing I wrote in my in my notes right after I wrote Gilf boobs after the first time we saw the high muckety muck potentate whatever. <laughs> um, I wrote. I hate you, Scott. I need to be drunker for this. <laughs> you see, listeners, you can feel the love here at the Infinite Cable Rights. Well, I was watching it at work, so I didn't get to drink. <laughs> some, some of you listeners out there might be, might be thinking, uh, you know, guys, you've been, uh, you've been discussing this film for uh, almost an hour, and we don't really know what happens in the film. And you know Neither what? Do we? We watched it. And you know what? That's on purpose. I don't necessarily want to go through a plot synopsis. I might in in future episodes, but for this one, I don't think it's going to really help anything because no one has watched this movie other than the three of us. And if if I give you the plot, then you'll have no reason to watch it. When at this point, some of you might be thinking, "Wow, that sounds just bad enough. I need to watch it." Or that sounds like they tried hard. I want to see the effort that they put out. Because you don't know what happens in the film, whereas if I tell you the plot, then some people are just going to check out. And also, yes, uh, Rick had a point. I don't really remember a whole lot of the plot because it was so threadbare. And it was a lot of tropes, a lot of familiar stuff you've seen in other movies. Um, it's exactly what you would expect. You are not going to be surprised in this film at all. Uh, every heel turn, every character death, you see it coming a mile away. When you see a character introduced, you say to yourself, oh, they're going to die. <laughs> at now, least, if, if, you, at if, least you, if they're going to die. If it's a character that, that's not going to survive till the end of the film, you say, oh, okay, that's the one that's going to die, and that one's going to... Oh, that one, that's the one that's going to live. That's the character that's going to survive. I know that. Now, if you liked Cecily Faye... And you want to see more of her <laughs> Sorry, it's hard to keep a straight face. <laughs> her next movie that she wrote, which was direct, directed by Rosk, Ross Boyask, uh, is Warrior-S. And it gets a 3.0 on IMDb, so it's, you know, it's moving up there. And it's actually got some, uh, some other people that were in this movie uh, in it as well. It's like she carried over a lot of her... Uh, personnel a lot of her mm-hmm. people in, in it and stuff but you I, th- this one i mean you don't have to just find it at the dollar store you can find this it this is on amazon it's on youtube all of that stuff it wouldn't it doesn't surprise me that that babes with blades the flower of sarnia is on youtube um i did read on one of the the imdb reviews that it was on um uh, amazon prime uh able to watch for free so if people want to see it, there are ways to get out there and, and mm-hmm. check it out. Um, I don't know if you necessarily want to pay a lot of money for it. You know, uh, also at the bottom of the uh, IMDb page of Warrior S, uh, more like this is Star Hike. I think that's an H uh, starring Claudia Christian yep. and Jeremy Bullock. Saw that one. I didn't actually see the movie. I saw that that was uh, <laughs> on the You May Like. And uh, to what Sean was saying a second ago about some folks that were in this film, 
also showing up in Warrior S. My assumption is that a lot of the people in this and the other, so both these films, are probably uh, other members of Cecily Faye's stunt team. Probably. So they, they probably work together on, on many projects already. And this is them making the projects rather than just working on the projects. Yeah, because I know the, the lady that played Section Commander, she's also in Warrioress. And you know what? I'm 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 not going to completely say don't watch this movie. I'll say if you are into uh, fight choreography, you might find something in here that you like. So I'm not going to say just completely pass on it, because you know. Somebody out there might like it. I don't know. But I watch a lot of stuff that people consider bad. <laughs> I I grew up I grew up without cable and I had to watch just whatever was on and I got to uh it it created a um tolerance in me for bad stuff. So mm-hmm. there is another movie called Babes with Blades. I kind of wondered if On she was Prime trying Video. to start a uh, a series calling this Babes with Blades the Flower of Sarnia, like if there was another Babes with Blades coming that was called something else. Two rival office workers settle a dispute with a sword duel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And this just brings up such a, a, a cornucopia of... Movies that are what I expected Babes of Blade with Blades to be. Dracula's Daughter, Violet Rain, Caveman Did First. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is like this is like two AM Cinemax kind of crap. Yeah, here. they've got off off to the side it's got the user list and they've got somebody's put uh, Hercules the Legendary Journeys. But see, this isn't even that because Hercules was like I said, it's tongue in cheek. It was supposed to be uh, a little off kilter, a little. It was uh, mo- modern speak and and the modern acting set in a past time and all that kind of stuff. Um, this was what I like taking to call itself syndicated schlock. Yeah, <laughs> but this is taking itself seriously. So, which is why I don't think that the that the title that they used is their original title. I also noticed that they don't have food and water, but they have tons of lipstick. Plenty of makeup in this film, to be sure. <laughs> I did want to um, mention, and I don't want to spoil it if anybody wants to go and watch it, so I won't say who the character was, but there is a character in this movie that drowns, right? That gets drowned by, by a person in, like, one inch of water. <laughs> and not even face down. <laughs> yeah. It, the The... The body of water, or pool of water, or or whatever you want to call it, that the character is is dispatched in. Someone moments later gets thrown into that water, and then stands up, and you find that the water is maybe calf deep. <laughs> well, to be fair, it only needs to be deeper than your face. Well, her face wasn't but- under it. When I, when they showed her dead, she's just laying there. Her face is well, not submerged. When, well, after he let go, yeah, she floated to the top, and then of course because what, why ever? I didn't see it as floating. <laughs> I saw her as just laying in the <laughs> laying there. 
But yeah, well, yeah, the, the the head at that point, the head was was floating in the water. But it doesn't really matter because by, by that you point, know, it, I was so checked out that they could have brought a unicorn on stage and chopped it in half with a chainsaw, and I would have been like, all right, whatever. <laughs> but the also sound have to assume someone... that it was magic water because while the drowning was happening. The character being drowned was making noise as though not underwater. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. The, uh, the drown- drowning sounds recorded in ADR are terrible. <laughs> it's it's yeah. just like, okay, here's a glass of water. Let's swish it around while you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a good movie. <laughs> but there's some things to, to to get from it if you watch it. I don't think it will be a complete waste of time having discussed most of the issues good and bad with this film uh let's i'm gonna try throwing out some uh potential segments that we might try for 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 future episodes um so uh sean and rick each in turn what is and it could be something that we've already discussed or it could be something that has not been mentioned yet but and Rick, you're going to hate it. I'm going to need you to power through it. <laughs> okay. What is one thing that you can cite about this movie as a positive? What's one good thing that you took away from this movie? <clears throat> Sean, let's give Rick some time to think of something. You go first. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll just go back to the fight choreography. It was, it was, it was pretty good. It was, like you said, they, you could tell that they were pulling their punches. Um... So it wasn't perfect. It definitely could have been better with some better sound effects. Uh, uh, you could tell that some of the sword clinking and the and the punches and things were recorded. Uh, they didn't sound like they were hitting hard enough. You know, uh, some of that might have made them a little bit better. But and there's but there's a lot of those scenes, so it kind of uh, it kind of takes up the slack. On some of the writing and uh, and the weird the weirdly delivered dialogue, <laughs> <laughs> the more fighting they do, the less talking they have to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, I, I I would I would agree um, that the fight choreography is a positive. Uh, with if they could have afforded more cameras, which would have given them more angles, which would have given them more options with the editing, then yeah. I think they could have made the fight scenes look a lot better. Um, some, I'm sure, if they beefed every up the Foley that work, then it crew had a better. had a cell phone. Mm, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of cell phones around there, but at the same That's time, it's about the quality of uh, of the of the the camera that they had. So why not three or four cell phones for alternate angles? <laughs> I don't know. You know, you know, maybe that's not a bad point. Rick, you should get your cell phone and grab a couple of friends that you know with cell phones, and you should go make a better movie. Phone, I know better than to do that though. Phones, and I can t- make a better play. Phones in 2013 not- weren't recording in 4K yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded meaner than I wanted it to sound. I was going for funny, <laughs> not for mean. I'm sorry, Rick. I love you. I love you too. And it did not sting at all because I could make a better film than this. Oh well, then, then go do it right now. That'll be our next. I episode. don't want to. I know better because I know that I would make a shitty movie, but it would still be better than this thing. 
That's why I don't make movies. So if it's going to be better than this thing, then it can still at least qualify to be on this podcast. So, Dude, my last colonoscopy film was better than this <laughs> thing. <laughs> Man, she's <laughs> never going to come on this show. I actually have something good to say about this movie that we haven't already discussed. <laughs> is is the, the good thing the fact that you're not watching it right now? <laughs> no. No. I have a legitimately good good thing about this movie. Sean, be quiet. Keep your mouth shut. Because if you talk too long, you might take it back. <laughs> One thing I did like about it that was sadly totally wasted by the rest of it being garbage, <clears throat> excuse me, is that all of the main characters were women. And that all... Uh, almost all of the most powerful characters were women. Now, we had the, the you know, the Wesley stand-in farm boy, get me that picture uh, jailer dude, um, which just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but, you know, it was a very, uh, you know, girl power movie that I'm, I really wish it had been better because that aspect of it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. You didn't think I'd have anything really good to say about this, did you? <laughs> and and that is a a solid uh a solid pro to the movie. Um I w- not good enough for anyone to watch it, but st- it's there. <laughs> I, I, I would have preferred that the strong female characters have uh strong female uh performance jobs, but but yes. That's that that is a solid point. If they had had even... All right, well... All right. I will grant you that I did not expect the budget of this film to be as low as it was. Because even in 2013, 250 grand is hardly anything. You know, that's that's just barely... I mean, what what, uh, what did Kevin Smith say? He made Clerks for 15? No, nah, I think it was and like... that was in 1990-something? I think it was like 25,000. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure yeah, I can he, find it here. Yeah. He took out a bunch of credit cards and maxed them, but that was like 1992 And he quit film school so he could like get that. his tuition back. And yeah. <laughs> um, so in 2013, 20, 250 grand was, you know, a pittance. Yeah. And so I got to I, I got to give him credit for it looking. Uh, I can't believe I'm, these words are going to come out. I can't, I got to give him credit for it looking as good as it does for that much. But. <laughs> you know, maybe if they had had an actual budget for the film, you know, even a million dollars, which is considered low budget, uh, could have bought, you know, some script polishing, could have bought an actual director, could have bought a fucking boom mic, pardon my French. <laughs> um, but yes, this film does have potential, but it didn't live up to it. And while I appreciate your attempts to not your attempts, I appreciate your viewpoint that uh, you know, the intention was there and the, the passion was there yes it was but ultimately as a viewer you have to judge the film on the final product and the final product is below inferior suppose that can't be denied but they tried <laughs> they did. They tried, and they did the, the the best they could with what they had, but 
ultimately, you know, it's like just be, you know to 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 borrow a quote from another really good movie. Just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing. <sighs> All right. Um, and uh, to round it out, I should think of something as well. Uh, a positive that I took away from this movie, and this is in addition to all the other things that we've already discussed, the uh, fight choreography, the, the good intentions, the light-up wall, uh, the, the, the one person doing a lot of jobs. All those things are fairly impressive. But what do I think might be the most impressive thing about this movie is that Cecily Faye, the driving force behind every aspect of this movie is older than I am and still managed <laughs> to get this movie made not only that but can still manage to pull off those fight scenes without you know dying yeah yeah well I mean she is a professional uh, fight choreographer person so she uh, she knows how to do those high kicks without pulling anything <laughs> <laughs> well, I choose to view the entire world from the viewpoint of anyone my age or older is incapable of uh, any feats of uh, physical strength or prowess. <laughs> <laughs> anyone my age or older is essentially crippled. <laughs> We're all disabled. You know, I view the world this way only because it makes me feel better about all the 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 array of noises that I make whenever I stand up from a chair. <laughs> or when I sit down in a chair. You kids are so funny. Uh. Or when I when I bend over to pick something up off the floor. Or when I bend over slightly to get something out of the refrigerator. When I get up out of bed. When I get into bed. You know, you know what I love is when I'm at work and one of my 19-year-old sports boys can't pick up something on stage and I go over and pick it up and move it and laugh at them. Now, granted, I have to lay down for yeah. a couple of days after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, kudos to Cecily Faye, someone who is trying her hardest to make entertaining works, doing what she's good at, which is choreographing fights and performing them, and then trying her best at all the rest of the aspects of making a movie around those fights. And doing that without being what the movie-making industry would consider to be an acceptable age, which is anything that begins with a two. This is not the movie-making industry. This is you. You think the movie-making industry is terribly accepting of and forgiving of women over the age of 30? As stunt people? I, in, in general. Well, we're, we're talking... Well, hang on. Hang on. Let me, let me check something here. What, what's her name? What's her first name? Oh, my God. Cecily. Cecily, thank you. Okay, she was born in 1978. So, and her last film... Oh, was this one. She hasn't worked since 2018. Well, actually, Outlaw King was her last stunt, but that was only two years ago. IMDb. Also, they kind of separate the films from TV, so she might. Maybe she's been doing some well, TV I thought she stuff. was in a Star Wars film. Why isn't that coming up here? Uh, her 
her name is popping up in, and I got a. She was a puppeteer on the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, it, the new Dark Crystal show. It, exactly. That that's that's what uh, that's what it showed me. The the 2019 Dark Crystal series on Netflix. She was involved in that. Yeah, they separate her actress credits from her stunt credits and her composer credits. Yeah, but just because that's the last yeah. thing that she came out with doesn't mean she's not working on something now that just hasn't come out. Because if it took five years to get this out, she may be working on something now. <laughs> this is going to yeah. come out in a couple of years. Yeah, or at the same time, she might not be working in front of the camera anymore, but she might be teaching stunt people how to be stunt people. Regardless, she, if we just look at this movie, she's done more than I've done. Well, she was in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, too. She was a, a, creature, a creature performer, performer probably a, a puppeteer to a degree in, in that one as well. I mean, I've got nothing against her. And, you know, she certainly moves well. And, you know, like I said, the fight's are really well done. I know you and why you I, don't like her. You don't like her because she was in Prometheus. <laughs> well, that's a strike against everyone involved in that. <laughs> you know what? I'll tell. I'll, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say that this movie is better than Prometheus. <laughs> and if that is not a positive note to end on, then I don't know what is. <laughs> Folks, I think that's going to wrap up the general discussion for this episode's uh, film feature focus. That's horrible alliteration. I'm not using that one again. Uh, uh, We just discussed Bays with Blades, and in another attempt at creating a segment, we're going to go with some alternate titles. Sean, what do you think? No, no, I'm going to actually have you go second, Sean. You go ahead and take a moment and think of another another, uh, title that this film could have taken that still would have been equally as accurate and descriptive as its given title. And we'll start with Rick. Rick, if you could rename this film accurately and descriptively and safe for work, (laughs) what would you retitle this movie? (laughs) Crotch Cam of the Galaxy. (laughs) Was that actually your your thing? I, I just assumed that that was a joke. (laughs) <laughs> well, actually, I, I, in my notes, I wrote gynocam, but uh, <laughs> there was, was a lot of uh, high kicks and mini skirt, well, and mini skirts uh, with the camera right there. Uh, chaos in the editing room. I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I do want to say, I'll, I'll, I'll give mine in a second, but I do want to say that knowing people that create costumes uh, for conventions and things like that and for videos and movies the costumes in this movie were actually pretty good I think they did a really good job with the costumes um, they're they, I mean they they worked they weren't overly sexualized I mean they were there were some skimpy outfits but they weren't overly sexualized like you would you go to a convention and somebody dresses as Wonder Woman, but it's a like really over sexualized Wonder Woman, you know. <laughs> it's a sexy Wonder Woman. Yeah. A, a lot of double sided tape went into the album. Yeah. And and some of it's basically body paint. But uh Yeah. But yeah, the but the costumes for this, uh they worked for the fights, so they weren't too cumbersome for the movements that they were trying to do and everything. And they looked like they actually belonged in the period that the that the movie was supposed to take place in. So, for for the most part, 
Although yeah. you get you get to the end of the movie, literally the final scene of the movie, you see Azura, the the hero of the film, and the the right hand man to the villain, who ended up doing a, a turn at the end and becoming a good guy. Perhaps no reason whatsoever. He was one hundred percent wearing someone's Ren costume. Yeah. Well, they probably <laughs> ran out of money by that point. One hundred percent. There was someone on the production staff that was like, "Hey, I've got my I've got my Rennie gear uh, in, in in the boot. That's what they call the trunk over there in the UK. Yeah, I've got my Rennie gear in the boot. Let's see if that'll fit you. It was one. It was absolutely a a simple pirate peasant shirt." White, long, poofy sleeves with laces uh, uh, up to the collar, and a, a simple leather belt and big, billowy pirate pants. It was straight out of the Ren Fair, is what <laughs> that guy was wearing. Um, I had to throw that out as long as we were talking costuming. But, um, Sean, what would you call this movie? I would call it either Gladiator or. <laughs> I think. No, no. I think. Now, I, I could be wrong. Citation needed. I think that title is taken. Probably. Um, Lady Gladiator. I don't know. Um, I would probably, just off the top of my head, probably just The Sword of Sarnia. Probably better. Or The Flower of Sarnia, as the subtitle states. If they cut the babes with blades, might have been might have been a little bit easier. But, again, this is a very fight-centric movie. So, if you're removing blades... From the title, and leave it as just the flower of Sarnia. Then it sounds too nice. It sounds too dramatic. It sounds too flowery. Flower of Sarnia. Get it? So yeah. And the whole flower thing was stupid as the sword of Sarnia. I'm just just going to breeze right past it. The sword of Sarnia. Yes, you're right. Probably would be better because then you got the alliteration. It tells that it's going to be a movie with swords in it. So that's the fighting Sarnia, alien planet. Kind of silly name, but they went with it. Yeah. I like your title. I think your title probably would have worked. My alternate title for this film, considering the fact that, especially in the first half of the movie, it's very clear they're trying to set up a Spartacus vibe with Azura being captured and then put into the arena and having to fight for her life and her freedom, and then she escapes and she gathers followers and then she comes back to dethrone the the, the bad guys that were in charge, um, even to the point where she leaps from the floor of the arena up to the the upper level of the uh, of the audience, where the the big bad guy is standing and watching, which is exactly what happens in the finale of the first season of uh, Spartacus on uh, Stars. I can't remember when that series came out, but the first season ended with him leaping from the arena floor up to the the balcony. It, it was, was around 2010, 2011, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So because they're clearly trying to tell a Spartacus story, and it's a sci-fi tale because it takes place on a different planet, somewhere up in the stars, and obviously you gotta call it Spartacus. <laughs> folks... I hate you even more now. <laughs> folks, that's gonna wrap it up yeah. for this first unofficial pilot episode of <laughs> I'd Watch That for a Dollar. Let us know what you think of it. Uh, future episodes will probably be a little bit more polished. We'll have a better idea of what we're doing before we get into it, there's going to be more of a more of an agenda, more of a framework. But we at least wanted to try having a discussion about a film that virtually no one in the listening audience will have had the chance to see. And I don't know about you guys, but I had fun talking about this movie, knowing full well that people 
don't really know what we're talking about. But I think they'll be able to follow. I hope so. I've been telling myself for five years that I was going to get my, uh, that my uh, shows were going to have more of a structure, and they still don't. So, So, listeners. Structure is for the week. uh, Structure is for the week. (laughs) Listeners, uh, did you enjoy listening to us talk about this movie that you haven't seen? If you did, let us know. Did you find it difficult to follow this discussion about a movie that you haven't seen? If you did, let us know. Feedback is always appreciated, and that goes into forming the structure for the week in future episodes. Let us know what you think of this format. Let us know what you think of this new uh, potential podcast series. Um, If you like it, then hopefully we'll spin it off into its very own feed, very own show, and then you can unsubscribe to that Super Fan Talk podcast and subscribe to my show instead. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. I am your host, Scott Madison. I want to thank both of my guests for coming on and discussing this, this valiant effort of a film. Sean, thanks for being here. And thank you for inviting me. And Rick, thank you. No, but seriously, I know that it, it, it does, and this is not to make fun. I know it takes effort to to watch stuff that isn't necessarily uh, quality production. I know it's not always easy, it's not always fun, and it can be a little bit draining, and it's not terribly easy for everyone. So I do want to say thank you for watching this film and coming out and discussing it with us and not just saying the F word. I, I only dropped one, which this film deserved a lot more than that, so I'm... <laughs> Uh, I, I would say, those of you listening now, you get to go out and do one sin, uh, because I've watched this movie free. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Sean? A little blasphemy at the end. What the hell? <laughs> Sean, Jesus, thank you for joining me on this. Uh, yeah. Uh, on, I, was on, like, on this I didn't know you had that kind of authority. <laughs> <laughs> Now that we have the, uh, the the sacrilege and the blasphemy, I think we've got all the bases covered. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, we watched Babes with Blades, The Flower of Sarnia, for a dollar.